welcome Drove Grace on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. The sun shining, the leaves turning, footballs falling, and my kids leave the house quiet for six hours. All of it is just a testimony of God's grace and mercy. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Kinda. It's been great opening up with you on Rogue Grace, your daily dose of good news from the book of Hebrews, one that is seeking to establish once and for all in case there was ever any doubt that if you have to choose between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that the New Covenant is better because it is premised on, based around, and it is mediated by Jesus Christ. Whereas the Old Covenant was based on and premised on both God and man working in synergy that we might together see his plan and purpose brought about in the world and in one's own life. And so, based on that condition, God laid out a covenant for his people stating in very many ways and hundreds of laws, if you do this, then I will do that. Now, as I read over those ifs and thens, if you do this, then I will do that, I find them both a blessing. You will be, I will be exceedingly blessed today when we choose to walk in God's wisdom and his ways, we will live closer and closer to what he intended all along in the Garden of Eden, a shalom, a harmony within our hearts and in our lives. The answer to our deepest desires is not living for ourselves but it's obeying God and his ways. But I have found the longer that I live, the more I am aware of my incapability of keeping the ifs. And it may be due to all kinds of different factors. Ignorance. It may be due to selfishness. It may be due to uh, physical experiences or stages of life, all kinds of things. Therefore, I need a covenant that takes me out of the equation, if that could possibly be so. Even Nicodemus, who knew the covenant of God better, if you would, 
he had a better grasp on it as the master teacher of Israel than anyone in Israel. He said, when Jesus told him, you must be born again, he said, how can these things be? Even in the beginning of their conversation together, Nicodemus was wondering how, not why. And he didn't say, why should this be? But how can this be? In his heart, he knew there is a need for a salvation and a righteousness that would work within him something he could never have done on his own up to that point, which from human perspective would have been quite a lot. So he recognized, I need to be born again. And at some point in time, he did. Because when the body of Jesus was taken from the cross, it was Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, two Pharisees who had requested the body of the Lord. Maybe they hadn't fully recognized the implications of the old and new covenants, or maybe they had, but they knew that there was something beyond what they were striving for in their own religiosity, in their own artificial relationship with God. And Jesus made it real and brought it home. And so to a risk for their entire career, their entire way of life, at, at risk of all of everything they'd ever worked for, those two men said, give us the body of Jesus, even when his disciples weren't there to take it. And so, like Nicodemus, we come to a place where we say, I know I need a new beginning. I need something apart from what I've experienced with God. Because I've taken the approach that if I just do my part, God will do his. But that hasn't worked so far. Maybe in my life, experientially, my marriage is still on the rocks or my kids are still out to lunch or my career is still circling the drain, whatever. Or maybe somebody says, for me, it would be inwardly, emotionally. I feel like I'm trying to do the right things and be a good gal or a good guy, but I still experience this melancholy in my faith, this depression in my heart. And so, in so many different ways, a person comes to the conclusion, I need a new beginning. I need something that's different than what I've had before. You see, what you've had before, and same with myself, was basically the old covenant in which we essentially were trying to approach God, meeting him halfway. And if he did his part and we did our part, then we'd be blessed. We have found that even if and when God demonstrates yet once more he will do his part, we cannot do ours. And even when God fails to do his part, from our perspective, we wonder why. 
Well, to take it out of the old and bring it into the new puts perspective on those things that helps you relate to God. For you see, when you are under the old covenant, you feel like, and you come to the conclusion, well, the reason I'm sick or the reason my marriage is dissolving is because I've done this and this wrong. So I'm bearing the consequences of my actions. And that's so often the preaching in pulpits today. And that is the law in essence. It's the ministry of condemnation, Paul calls it. And then when you are doing what you're supposed to do, you're disappointed that God isn't doing what he's supposed to do. After all, I've been doing this and that and the other. I've been towing the line, but I'm not seeing the results that I want. And all this frustration sets in because on top of that, sometimes you do see God bless you or you are aware of his fidelity and his goodness and you still go out and say the wrong thing, do the selfish thing, fail to do the right thing. All of it's because it's based on behavior and performance. That's why God then instituted a new covenant, which is superior to the old. The old served its purpose. It served its purpose in showing us, it reveals to us the holiness of our all-wise God. We all know, we can all agree as Christians that the old covenant, which is the law, is the way to live. It's the way to interact with other people. It's the way to raise our children. It's the way to run a business. It's just the way to live. How are you doing with that? Not so well, because you're a human being. So then you take that out of the equation, all my performance and and my behavior, while acknowledging the beauty and the rightness of God's law. And I can then be in a place where I can receive the blessings of God apart from him doing his part as long as I do my part. That way, when God doesn't do what I wanted him, prayed for him, wished him to do, I don't have to fall back on, well, I must have failed, or God must have failed. But rather, I can fall back on, if everything good is already received and secured for me, then there must be a reason that I may not know of yet for which this has come into my life or this is happening to me. Furthermore, though it boosts your hope that if and when things turn around, when I see a breakthrough, when I feel a blessing, when I experience a new depth of His Spirit, It will all be because Jesus Christ has done the whole thing. He has done the whole part. So I can live today with expectation. And I can live today without having to feel the weight of expectation 
of the world upon my shoulders. And rather, I can glory in the cross for both my strengths and my weaknesses. What this allows then for me is not just to have a blessed life, externally speaking, but also one that is internally blessed and at peace. See the reason why the new covenant is so superior? And the more that you dwell in it on a day-to-day basis, walking with it and through it step by step, the more you will see the righteousness that you are yearning for and longing for under the old covenant actually working for you rather than you working for it. And so, as Christians, we need to be reminded of this day by day. Because there's something in us that will drift away, as Hebrews 2 verse 1 calls it, from the basic foundation of the new covenant, that it's all about Jesus and not about us, to it's all about Jesus and also what we contribute to, well, we're saved by grace, but we're blessed by trying harder. Um, that was the factor, that was the problem with the Hebrew Christians. And so the writer writes to them, and we looked at in chapter 1, how he emphasizes the greatness, the superiority of Jesus above angels. And the more I think about it, the more I see how appropriate that was to begin a letter. And of all the subjects, to begin by using angels as to why Jesus is superior. Superior to any covenant and anything in regards to our righteousness. Because angels are the things, the beings that are closest to the throne of God. 10,000 times 10,000 of them surround God's throne, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lamb, along with the saints. And so, it would be easiest, understandably, to venerate angels higher than anything else. And in fact, angels had a very important part of the Old Covenant. They're on the very lid of the Ark of the Covenant. They're in the center of so many visions of Isaiah and Ezekiel. They're noted to be those that handed the Ten Commandments from God to Moses. They easily wrought victory for the people of Israel in a matter of hours over the enemy when they were called on and sent. So, central, very close to the center of the Old Covenant would be the importance of angels. But Jesus is greater than the angels, even though, and this is the irony that we're going to look at now, he became lower than the angels. It was by his becoming lower 
than the angels, that he actually, once again, transcends them as he did in his glory with God. But this time, he goes down below them in order to transcend and once again receive worship from them. Let's look. Well, actually, let's take a song break, and we will be back right after this. Ash to ash, dust to dust, we live 
welcome back to Rogue Grace. In this afternoon edition, we are looking at Hebrews. And as we delve into the text, we talked about last segment how the theme or the central idea of this section is that Jesus is greater than the angels. And to the Jewish believer, that would mean a lot. To us, maybe, in our Western culture, not as much. But what does mean, the same to us as it would to any Christian, is that he chose to become lower than the angels in order that he might have a place far above the angels. So, that's what he says next when the writer says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, For it was fitting that Jesus for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified shall have one source of sanctification. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So in speaking to this divine descent, the writer of Hebrews says it's fitting that because he has created all things and now all things exist for him, that not only did he create us, which and whom the writer calls the sons of glory. But he is also the founder now of our salvation. And so it is fitting because as the scriptures say, God created the heavens and the earth. And the New Testament says that it was Jesus who created the heavens and the earth. And the two, of course, are not incompatible. It simply means that Jesus is God. And so it was God himself who came to redeem his creation. Okay, I've got to use this antiquated story, but I like it so much. And that would be the one of the little boy who spent time with his father making a sailboat. And so they carved up this sailboat. It was a couple of feet in length. It was a beautiful, small little fishing or sailing vessel he could put on the pond. One day as he was um, drifting or sailing his, his little toy boat, it caught a small little trickle of a current and went outside of the pond and down the stream, and the boy tried to follow as long as he could, but then lost track of his little vessel, and he was heartbroken about it. And so he had kind of given up hope, but one day he was walking downtown with his mother, and there in the display shop, the display window of the toy store, Right there, 
with a price tag of $9.99 next to it, was the sailboat that he had made and had drifted away. So he promptly walks inside, says to the manager of the store, that's my sailboat, sir. I made that with my dad and I lost it, but now I found it again. Can you give me back my boat? Oh, the manager chuckled. He couldn't help but say, son, I'm sorry. I can't simply take your word for that. Somebody brought this boat in and I bought it from them. And so now I have to sell it for a profit. The boy walked out, not dejected. He looked at that boat. He thought, I'm going to get you back. So he spent the entirety of that summer saving up his money, mowing lawns, doing chores to come up with $9.99. He walks into the store one day, puts the money on the counter and buys the boat. Now with it in his hand, he walks outside of the store and said, I bought you. Before that, I made you. You're twice mine now. That's an old story that I think kind of goes along the lines of what it means that Hebrew says it's fitting that the one who made all things and for him they all exist has now also become the very means of our salvation. It just shows the totality of the godness, the godness of Christ. No wonder why we see here that he is called the captain of our salvation. And just a, a few verses later, it's a beautiful term. It's a truth. Now, how did he do this? It says, by the way, captain of our salvation, it's in verse 10 of Hebrews 2, if you're following along. It's called the founder of my salvation in my text, but I prefer captain. We'll get into that word in a bit because it's used several times in Hebrews and it's beautiful in its meaning. How did he do this? Look at this. It says, he did this. He brought many sons to glory, becoming the captain of our salvation. Look at, through being made perfect by suffering. So he accomplished this quest in redeeming the world. And being able to say, you're twice mine because I made you and I bought you through being perfected by suffering. That's an amazing term. One to give thought to. That Jesus, the Son of God, had to be made perfect through suffering in order to accomplish what he did. The reason that's amazing is because we all have come to know and assume through our Bibles, through our theology, that Jesus was always perfect. He was born into perfection. He was born of a virgin, meaning that he received his blood 
He received his very essence, as far as his DNA and his blood is concerned, from a father in heaven by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't tainted like you and I have been. He wasn't born into sin, and neither did he sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. He knew no sin. He knew nothing about it. It wasn't part of his essence at all. It wasn't even a part of his thought process. It didn't even come close to touching who he was. And yet it says he's made perfect. What can that mean? It means, then, that he was made perfect through suffering for the purpose, or perfected for, being the founder and the captain of our salvation. If he had not gone through the suffering he did, he might have been perfect in who he was, but not in being a captain of our salvation, a savior for our souls. He had to go through suffering to be perfect, not only in who he was, but what he did. His perfection wasn't only because he was perfect within himself, but because he chose to be a a man of sorrows, because he chose to be afflicted by God the Father in my place, those sufferings perfected him to become a savior. Praise the Lord that he didn't just live this life in perfection as an example or a demonstration of what it might look like or even as a good teacher of how to follow his path, I would have been left behind. But his perfection included the sufferings he went through to make him my savior, as well as my rabbi and teacher. So too, friend, the things that you suffer are perfecting you. And when I say that, it's not just you being perfected, it's what you're called to do and who you are called to be. My wife is studying right now to be a nurse, and I think that part of that is contributed by having to deal with me. (laughs) I think that she, over the years, has had to have a heart perfected toward someone who is suffering. And now that's being used not only for her and for me, but will also be used for a greater purpose, a greater population. So too with the things that you suffer through. They're perfecting you for the mission that God has called you to. They're for the perfection, not just of your soul personally, but along with that, they're going to be the very things that the catalyst that directs and guides you in God's purpose for your life. Those hurts, those sufferings that you have gone through or are going through are perfecting you for the cause. That there is a greater cause that God has for your life that can only be accomplished because of what you've gone through 
and the things that you're experiencing that seem to be so painful, you are being perfected by those sufferings, just as Jesus was for us. And then it goes on to say, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. He who has made us holy and those who are made holy, now we have one source. He chose to be perfected not only as a man in himself, but through the sufferings he went through, that he can also not only be perfect, but bring many sons into glory.
Considering the greatness and superiority of Jesus as found in Hebrews 2 in regards to him being superior to the angels, but not only that, that's chapter 1, that he became temporarily from a creation aspect, he became less than the angels. And by becoming less than the angels, he was provided the opportunity to become the captain of our salvation. Because now he has ascended and all angels worship at his feet. And in so doing, he has caused us to become his brothers, we are told. Bringing many sons into glory. (laughs) so that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Isn't that beautiful? Why is he not ashamed? Because it says in our text here in Hebrews 2 that the justifier and the justified now have one source. The one who makes holy and the one who is becoming holy do so from the same place. See, we have this heritage, this shared linkage with him because of what he has done so that he will look at you and see me on that day and have a heart that's flooding, overflowing with sincere joy at you and me because it shows our being in heaven, that the work of his hands is completed and it is sufficient that he accomplished the mission. And when he sees us, we are the byproduct, the result, and we are the reward of the work of his hands. All of us both he and you and I, finding our holiness from the same source. He, of course, from himself, and you and I from him, making us, all of us, it says here, brothers. He's not ashamed to call you his sister or his brother. In fact, we'll close with this, but Hebrews quotes and then brings it into the New Covenant, 
by saying he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, quote, I will tell them of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So the writer of Hebrews takes that particular psalm and applies it to the messianic aspect of Jesus that he is full of joy he is worshiping along with us and he worships with us as our brother well why would Jesus worship the father if indeed he is God because Jesus has chosen to take upon himself the elements, the humanity of becoming a person like me and you. Whereas he is equal with God, Philippians chapter 2 says, he did not think it robbery to be equal with God, yet made himself submitted himself, lowered himself in his authority, choosing to do so as he came to this earth, not making him any less God, not making him half God or God Jr., but a God, our God is a God who chose to humble himself in order to save you and I. In many ways, you look at Philippians chapter 2 and you read the steps that God took through Jesus to come to us. He becomes a man, we are told. He laid aside his divinity or his rights of divinity, we are told. He took on the form of a servant and the humility of a person, we are told. He was obedient to the cross, we are told. Those are the steps he took to come out. Why? Because here in Hebrews chapter 2, it's almost reverse. It shows us now, when he came out, the steps that he took to bring us in. And that's why this whole series is entitled, You're In. And we'll look at this more and more, but the same way he brought, came out, like a high priest, from out of the Holy of Holies, yet no one could go back in with the high priest into the presence of God. Jesus Christ uniquely came out like the high priest from the Holy of Holies to bring us in with him, into the presence of God, into the place where the presence of God abides. You're in now, and there's no further to go. There's no higher rungs on the ladder to climb. There's no secret chambers to discover. All you do is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But it says that with my brothers, I will sing your praise. That's what it says about Jesus. So when we sing, he, he, he is there with us as a congregation. Let's say on Sunday in the amphitheater. Jesus is there. Or let's say tomorrow night in the sanctuary, Jesus is there. When we sing in our home fellowships or when there are underground churches in the Middle East, 
worshiping the Lord, Jesus is there singing with us, his people. Beautiful. Zephaniah chapter 3, the Lord speaking of the Messiah says, The Lord your God is in the midst of thee. He is mighty to save. He's resting in his love. And he is singing and rejoicing over you. Isn't that beautiful? He's resting in his love, not your love for him. He's resting in his love for you. And he truly does love you. And so when you sing, he sings with you. In fact, Zephaniah says he sings over you. He has a song of salvation and of joy that he sings over you. The Lord is so good to us. It's good to know how good, to at least begin to grow in how good he is. That's why this book of Hebrews and going through any New Testament letter for that matter is such a rewarding experience because you learn why the Lord is so good and how these things all work and to the depths he has chosen to go to. And the more you discover, the more you not only want to know, but the more you want to grow and become more like the Lord. You find so much satisfaction in his word. So we'll continue our study in Hebrews uh, next um, week. And I'm going to make a programming change. I'm sorry. (laughs) My bad. Drew Curveball. I forgot I put that song on there. There we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord cause you to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Because in growing in the knowledge of Jesus, you'll become more like Jesus one day at a time. You are being perfected. Not only as a human being through your suffering, you are being perfected for your calling to other human beings as well. God is so wise. He can do both through the things that you go through. Thanks for tuning in. Again, Lord willing, we'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless.